0: to that room we could do like a uh did you all watch my cousin vinnie you know the movie it's one of my favorite uh law movies because he comes from brooklyn and uh, when the the nice lady who said she saw and then he uh he he says to her "How how many fingers do i how many fingers do i got up and she says uh three well she was too far away
1: to see it was only two These people were further away than my cousin Vinny was from the witness. That was lame duck President Donald Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, doing a film review, I guess? Some kind of drunk Ebert and Robert thing, I don't know. It was a press conference on the apparent mountains of evidence of voter fraud in the 2020 election. He was joined by a lawyer named Sidney Powell, who made this claim.
2: What we are really dealing with here and uncovering more by the day is the massive influence of communist money through Venezuela, Cuba, and likely China in the interference with our elections here in the United States. The Dominion voting systems, the Smartmatic technology software, and the software that goes in other computerized voting systems here as well not just dominion were created in villains in venezuela at the direction of hugo chavez to make sure he never lost an election after one constitutional referendum came out the way he did not want it to come out one of the um, leaders of the dominion project in Overall is Lord Malik Brown, Mr. Soros, number two person in the UK and part of his organization. There are ties of the Dominion leadership to the Clinton Foundation and to other known politicians in this country. One of the Smartmatic patent holders, Eric Coomer, I believe his name is, is on the web uh, as being recorded in a conversation with Antifa.
1: I mean, that was basically right-wing Mad Libs. Okay, we need uh, two communist countries. Oh, uh, Venezuela and China. Yeah, okay, good, good. All right, we need a democratic charity that serves as a front for nefarious activities. Mm, Clinton Foundation. Perfect. So this one says something about Epstein. Mmm, I don't know. The president was pretty good friends with him. Yeah, well, that's true. We need something made up and linked to communism like the political trope of the outside agitator used since the late 1800s Anytime the government wants to discredit legitimate protests by citizens to pivot from the actual issue and justify otherwise unjustified violence on said citizens. Oh, it's been a while since I've googled the outside agitator trope. Uh, Antifa. Now, Sidney Powell is calling this effort unleashing the Kraken because she's super original, but it does make sense to me because Kraken is also the name of my favorite black rum, and after listening to that entire press conference, I wanted to unleash several bottles of it. I mean, this would be the craziest, the most incredible criminal operation pulled off in American history if it were true. But don't take that from me. Take it from this guy. What Powell was describing would amount to the single greatest crime in American history. Took Sidney Powell seriously. We had no intention of fighting with her. We've always respected her work. So we invited Sidney Powell on the show. We would have given her the whole hour. We would have given her the entire week actually,
0: but she never sent us any evidence despite a lot of requests, polite requests, not a page. When we kept pressing, she got angry and told us to stop contacting her. When we checked
1: with others around the Trump campaign, people in positions of authority, they told us Powell has never given them any evidence either, nor did she provide any today at the press conference.
0: Powell did say that electronic voting is dangerous, and she's right. We're with her there. But she never
1: demonstrated that a single actual vote was moved illegitimately by software from one candidate to another, not one. That was right-wing pundit Tucker Carlson. If you don't know who Tucker Carlson is, Let's just say that if Tucker Carlson is calling you on your BS, then you have a serious problem with BS. But this whole thing just got a lot stranger. In Georgia, two Senate races that will take place on January 5th will decide which party controls the Senate. Democrats need to win both seats. If they do, they will be evenly divided in the chamber, 50 Democrats and 50 Republicans. But it will give Democrats an effective majority because in the Senate, the Vice President breaks tie votes, which will be Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. The races have unfolded in a fascinating way. GOP leaders have grown increasingly concerned that Donald Trump's attacks on the integrity of the election threaten to depress turnout of the Republican Party's base voters, which are primarily Trump supporters. However, there is some indication that suburban voters who voted against Trump in the presidential election are not thrilled about the attacks on the integrity of the election. And this puts Republican Senators David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler, who are defending their seats in these races, In a weird position. They can't go against Trump because the base of the party will turn on them. At the same time, they can't align themselves with Trump entirely, otherwise, they threaten support from suburban voters who likely split their tickets in the general election by voting against Trump and for Republicans down ballot. But Sidney Powell, who you just heard from, has encouraged Trump supporters to not show up in January until leaders fully commit to fighting for Trump in challenging the results to the November 3rd election, particularly in Georgia. Now, the Republican Party's establishment has started a campaign against Powell and her ally, Trump loyalist and lawyer Lynn Wood, who the party is now attacking, claiming he's donated to Democrats in the past. Essentially, a civil war is emerging within the party. We don't have time to go into it too deep here, but I wrote an article this week all about it, and you can find a link to that in the show notes. But the first debates for these two races took place last week, and Republican Senator David Perdue, who is facing off with Democrat John Ossoff. Didn't do so great. First, listen to how Ossoff answers a question about Trump's attacks on the election. Because, you know, when we think about the Trump presidency and what Donald Trump represented, that kind of leadership really only grows when there's already been a destruction of faith in our political institutions, and our political system. And this corruption is not a problem that taints just one political party. It's a problem that taints the entire political system. Now, listen to Purdue's answer. He wasn't there. Purdue refused to participate in the debate. Now, Purdue bailed on debates with Asaf before November as well, but whoever's decision it who was to let this debate happen anyway was politically brilliant. Seriously, go watch this. They introduce Asaf, showing him at his podium while talking about his resume. Then they do the same thing for Purdue while the camera literally shows an empty podium. Now, this was great for John Ossoff. He got the entire stage for the whole debate, and quite frankly, he crushed it. But if I were David Perdue's campaign manager, I would be updating my resume right about now and probably changing my name. Now, I honestly couldn't tell you who's going to win these races. There are so many factors, and all four candidates have competitive advantages as well as uphill obstacles. The civil war within the GOP threatens to tank their chances significantly. Though I'm not convinced just yet that the base won't turn out anyway. That being said, the polling for these races show us that the results are going to be really tight. And in tight races, the margins matter. So both parties are going to have to focus not only on turning out their bases, but they'll have to turn out those who voted on November 3rd as well as find new voters, which will be difficult for both parties because neither have much room to grow. But let's talk about why all of this happened. I've been getting a ton of questions about the claims Donald Trump has made about voter fraud and the presidential election. So let's break that down. Now, I've said a few times on this show why voter fraud is so rare today. It's incredibly hard to do, it's extremely difficult to get away with, and it's severely punishable by law. But here are reasons in particular you should reject Trump's voter fraud claims. Number one the fraud claims are baseless. Most of the claims I've heard don't even make sense to how elections are run in this country. Now we could waste time parsing out every claim, but all you really need to know is that in most instances, these claims depend on assumptions about how our elections work that aren't even true. And nearly all of Trump and his allies' lawsuits have been tossed out of courts across the country because they haven't been able to provide substantiated evidence other than uncooperated affidavits. Even Sidney Powell, this claim about votes for Trump being flipped to Biden in these voting machines by this Venezuelan company who helped Hugo Chavez and requires all of its employees to get a portrait tattoo of Joseph Stalin on their backs. Okay, I made that last one up. Still hasn't. Number two, this election, how it went and its results are not unexpected. We knew going into this that it was going to take a long time to count the votes. We knew that we weren't going to know the results the night of, as I myself had said on the show several times. We also knew there was going to be a bigger blue shift in this election than in previous elections. Blue shift is a political science term that describes how, as more votes are counted, we typically see a shift in the results toward the Democrat. The reason that is, is because absentee ballots are typically counted after in-person ballots, And Democrats typically make up a larger percentage of absentee votes than Republicans do. And no, this isn't something we just made up this year to explain what happened last month. The blue shift has been happening for years, since like 2004. This was even more true this year because of the pandemic, as well as Trump sowing distrust in mail-in votes and encouraging his supporters to vote the day of. So when Michigan and Wisconsin looked like they were going to go red on election night, and I understand there was a lot of panic because my phone was blowing up, A lot of us knew that was going to happen and knew that the results were likely to shift back toward Biden even if he didn't win, as more votes were counted, and that's exactly what happened. On top of all of that, if you've been listening to the show for some time, then you have heard me, as the broken record I've been, reiterate time and time again the single voter demographic that was going to decide this election. Suburban voters. Now, there are some things about this election that I got wrong, and we're going to dive into a deeper analysis in a few weeks because there's still more that we're finding out. But as I've said a million times on this show, neither candidate could win without suburbia. Donald Trump had been on track to lose those voters for a long time, and that's exactly what happened. The margins are not surprising, and the numbers make sense. And those numbers allow me to finally vindicate myself, especially to all my close political friends who have been giving me crap for the last three years for sounding like a broken record on suburban voters. That one's for you, Kevin. Number three. The third reason you should reject these claims, the threats of violence, the death threats, the harassment, the intimidation of vote counters and election officials, are all a direct result of this idea that the election was stolen. Georgia state official Gabe Sterling had this to say.
0: It has all gone too far. Joe DeGeneva today asked for Chris Krebs, a patriot who ran CISA, to be shot. A 20-something tech in Gwinnett County today has death threats and a noose put out saying he should be hung for treason. It has to stop. My boss, Secretary Raffensperger, his address is out there. They have people doing caravans in front of their house. They've had people come onto their property. Tricia, his wife of 40 years, is getting sexualized threats through her cell phone It has to stop. Mr. President, you have not condemned these actions or this language. Senators, you have not condemned this language or these actions. We need you to step up, and if you're gonna take a position of leadership, show some. This is elections. This is the backbone of democracy, and all of you who have not said a damn word are complicit in this. It's too much. It's not right. They've lost the moral high ground to claim that it
1: is. Now, it's no surprise that the president isn't condemning violence or threats of violence. We've seen that for four years. And Republicans in Congress not standing up to him or otherwise being complicit in all of this is equally unsurprising. But the threats of violence, the people standing outside of precincts where votes were being counted with their guns and whatever, we have to stop entertaining the premise. Number four. You've probably heard that the president's attack on the integrity of our elections is extremely dangerous, and that's because it is. If we cannot trust the results of our elections, then we effectively have no democratic mechanism in our republic. But that's not the whole story. Look at where Trump and his allies are challenging the results. They're in large urban areas, such as Philadelphia, Detroit, and Atlanta. Now this is odd, because the places where the biggest swings in the election happened, as I said, are in suburban counties. In these urban centers, black Americans make up the majority of the electorate. Donald Trump isn't just telling millions of Americans across the country that their votes don't count, he's telling millions of black Americans that their votes don't count. But this leads to an even bigger problem. The president has brought voter fraud into the national conversation recklessly, with no evidence. What this is doing is sowing doubt not just in American elections at large, but particularly doubt in the way these counties count their votes. Now, if you listen to my recent episode, Does My Vote Count?, we specifically talked about voter suppression, particularly of black Americans. One thing Donald Trump is good at is changing the Overton window on any given conversation. By laying the foundation with these claims, we're likely to see a boon to lawmakers and election officials wanting to make voting even more difficult than it already is in these communities. Voter suppression for American minorities of all kinds is only going to get more aggressive. And with over 50% of Republican voters who say that the results of this election are either somewhat or very unreliable, Republicans are going to have the public support they need to pass even more aggressive voter laws, laws that are just relics of the Jim Crow era. Now, all of these are reasons why we should unambiguously reject this attack on our elections and stop entertaining Donald Trump's claims, based on both the facts and the moral consequences. But this brings us to my last point. In the 2016 Republican primary, Donald Trump lost to Ted Cruz in the Iowa caucus. After the caucus, Donald Trump tweeted, quote, Ted Cruz didn't win Iowa. He stole it. That is why all of the polls were so wrong and he got far more votes than anticipated. Bad. Based on the fraud committed by Senator Ted Cruz during the Iowa caucus, either a new election should take place or Cruz's results nullified. In October of 2016, a few months after he won the Republican primary, Donald Trump tweeted, quote, The election is absolutely being rigged by the dishonest and distorted media pushing crooked Hillary, but also at many polling places. Sad. Donald Trump won the 2016 election, just in case you didn't know. He won the Electoral College, but he lost a popular vote by nearly 3 million votes. After the election, Trump tweeted, Quote, In addition to winning the Electoral College in a landslide, I won the popular vote if you deduct the millions of people who voted illegally. He then set up a special commission to investigate the millions of alleged illegal votes cast by immigrants. But that commission was dissolved nearly a year later with no evidence found. Donald Trump cannot lose. It's a flawed and incoherent logic built into this myth that Donald Trump is invincible, because when he does lose, It's always someone else's fault. When his TV show, The Apprentice, lost the Emmys, and this is my personal favorite, he tweeted that the Emmys were unfair and this was all politics. Like a ticker tape parade, Trump showers us with a multitude of sprawling excuses as to why all of his businesses have failed, why they should actually be considered successful because real numbers apparently don't matter. In other words, Trump's inability to admit that he lost is old hat. Donald Trump has been doing this song and dance for his entire life. Now, I personally think it's time he gets a new act because the circus is leaving town, but that's just me. The point is, is that the claims of voter fraud don't matter. The facts, the numbers, the evidence, nothing tangible here matters because we're not talking about saving a stolen election. We're talking about saving the fragile ego of someone who is so desperately trying to shore up whatever sense of identity that he can. Donald Trump is the kind of person that typically I would pity. He is so clearly wounded and insecure that he will do whatever he has to to keep suppressed that deep, unsettling sense of uncertainty and inadequacy buried inside him. He will do whatever he needs to to keep from looking at reality head-on. But here is the reality. By election day, 66% of Americans were concerned that they or someone they know would become infected with COVID-19. Nearly 60% of Americans disapprove of Donald Trump's response to the pandemic. This summer, 67% of Americans believe that Trump only made racial tension worse after the murder of George Floyd. Pew Research found that at the end of September, Biden led Trump on every major issue except for the economy by four points or more, and that included criminal justice by four points. Selecting good Supreme Court nominees by six points, making good foreign policy decisions by nine points, handling the health impact of COVID 19 by 17 points, and bringing the country closer together by 20 points. By the end of October, Trump was losing suburban voters specifically by 10 points. There was a near 2 million suburban vote swing nationwide between the elections of 2016. In 2020. That swing was even more critical in the states Biden was able to flip, and in the states that he lost, Trump's lead was narrowed by it. On both the right and the left, some have looked at both Donald Trump's surprise win in 2016 and his consistent approval rating throughout his presidency as a testament to this myth that he is invincible. But Donald Trump won in 2016 because he flipped Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, all by less than, or just a little more. Than 1%. And though throughout his entire presidency, Trump's approval rating has remained consistent, never dropping below 40%, it has been consistently low for any president and it's never gotten higher than 50. That's not invincible. As we've talked about on this show for the last six months, Trump's messaging wasn't working. Yet instead of heeding wisdom, he chose to double down. So this idea that Donald Trump could not have possibly lost this election is, just like Sidney Powell's Kraken, a myth. Now this is the last thing I'll say about voter fraud because quite frankly I feel like I've given these claims already far more attention than they deserve. But if there is anything that we can say to wrap up the 2020 election, it's this. The lame duck president can refuse truth all he wants to. He can lie as much as he pleases. But electoral math doesn't lie. There is only one person responsible for Donald Trump losing this election. And that's Donald Trump. We have to recognize those
2: of us who have the advantages that you have and that I have, that we have an obligation and responsibility to those who do not. All we say
1: to America is be true to what you say on paper. The future doesn't belong to the paper, it belongs to the brave. Let me assert my firm belief. That the only thing we have to fear is fear itself.
0: This generation did not create most of the conditions and the convictions which have led us to this day. But this generation has a responsibility
2: to resolve them.